1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
2: Football Social Daily with KingCasino.com. Pick up a royal ransom of 100% up to £150 plus 50 free spins on the description link. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. Be gamblerware.org.
0: Hello, I'm Ant McGinley and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League podcast. This is the place to come for a load of gossip, news, opinion, match previews, reviews, injuries and more often than not, the odds insult. Throughout the season, we're here every single day. Obviously, in this weird time that we are, uh, we're not here as often, so you'll catch us three times a week until uh, the beginning of September. Today, I'm joined by two footballing experts. First of all, the man who was already pretty miserable last time I did this show, but I haven't seen him since Newcastle stayed up and didn't get taken over. I can only hope that, the, at the very least, the sun
1: is shining on wherever Marley Anderson is. The sun is shining, uh, the... It's all good, it's all good. I've got called miserable on a review the other day, still stinging a little bit, but, you know, I'll get over it, and uh, I'll try and be a happy, happy person from now on.
0: And there was, I I must apologise, I was mistaken in thinking you were happy being miserable. Uh, Making up the third uh, (laughs) wheel is the boss today, sadly not Bruce Springsteen, but instead our actual boss, so... Best behaviour, Marley. It's West Ham fan, Jim Salverson. So, Jim, my question to you is, now that the dust has settled, are you still feeling relieved that the hammer stayed up or does another season in the Premier League for your beloved West Ham fill you with dread?
2: Firstly, I think I'm more comfortable being called a third wheel than a football expert. But in terms of West Ham, I just, I don't know. there's a, Yes, yes, I'm happy we're still in the Premier League next season but at the same time there's a kind of creeping inevitability it's Groundhog Day in East London it's the same thing every single season again and again and again so it's difficult to see how we won't be in exactly the same situation next season so time will tell but yeah it's good to be in the mix for next season at least.
0: Well we'll talk possibly about uh, one West Ham player at least uh, with stories that Antonio is going to be the highest paid player at the club we'll be looking at that story plus all the latest gossip in terms of the transfer window. Uh, We'll be reacting to this interview from Sol Campbell about uh, getting opportunities as a manager and asking which footballer needs a helping hand when being told what they can and can't do but first of all uh, we're talking the Europa League and last night Wolverhampton Wanderers now it may be controversial but i think there's something to celebrate here because uh, finally we can stop telling people how wolf season started on the 25th of July last season <laughs> and just move on uh, a hot night in duisburg is it duisburg or duisburg We don't know. You're asking the wrong
1: question.
0: I I have no idea. A hot night in Germany proved to be too much (laughs) for Duno's men. And Raul Jimenez missed a penalty early on as well. I would say, was this a shocker? But actually, they were up against Sevilla who are a bit of an expert when it comes to this competition. And, of course, we'll go through to face Man United uh, next. Uh, Marley, uh, has this been a a great campaign for Wolves? Bearing in mind that they've had such a long season leading up to this, but now they've just fallen short, they fell short in the league, and no matter what happens, they won't be playing European football next season.
1: Yeah, it's a a bit of a blow in the whole whole Wolves project kind of thing, isn't it? Um, But... To be fair, I mean they went out to a very good team. I mean we know Sevilla's record in the uh, in the Europa League is is unlike no other, really. Uh, they've had an incredible amount of success over the the past ten years in in winning it. I think they won it three or four times. Um, they came fourth in in La Liga behind you know the big three of the two Madrid clubs and Barcelona. So they always had the work cut out, Wolves, when they get to this business end of the. Uh, of the uh, of the season and of the the tournament kind of thing, so I think um, they've done as well as expected. But I, they will be disappointed to to get to so close to to everything in their season and play for so long and then come up short because obviously they, they didn't get into the top six. Um, ended up finishing uh, was it seventh or eighth and and having to rely on other things going their way to qualify for Europe or. Push, you know, push and win the Europa League as well. So, it's a bit of a, a disappointing end, but I don't think it'll derail what Wolves are doing too too much. I
0: mean, it has been undeniably a great season uh, for Wolves, both as as a fan, I guess, and also as a neutral. Uh, seeing them play and all that they've achieved, um, Jim, I'm wondering, you know, they've had such a great season with all those extra miles and extra games. This could be a really great thing for them. Uh, having less games next season. However, on the other side of looking at it, um, with all those players that they've got there, and and we already know Man United have been sniffing around Jimenez. Uh, you know they may want European football, which they're not going to get.
2: I think that is the potential blow for Wolves is that the players who other clubs are sniffing around. You mentioned Manchester United and Jimenez; those players. We know the draw of European football is all there, and if Wolves can't offer that, they are more at risk of losing those players. But to be fair to players like Jimenez, if Manchester United come sniffing, chances are that's the option that the is going to take anyway. I don't think it's too much of a disaster for Wolves this one. I know Marley said it's a blow to the project, but I kind of think they were ahead of the game with that project anyway. I don't think there was necessarily an expectation for them to qualify for Europe this season, particularly going through those qualifying stages. So the kind of the fact they were in the mix this season has been a bit of a bonus. And if you look how they strengthened last year, they didn't strengthen for a European campaign. Nuno Espirito Sancho was saying after the game yesterday, he was saying that we have a small squad. We don't have the ability to cope with these fixtures and he's absolutely spot on and you look at the players that started last night 11 of the squad played last night who played in their very first game against crusaders right back at the 25th of july that isn't a team that can cope with the premier league schedule and a europa league schedule on top of it so they've done well to get where they are there's plenty of positives to take from there and i don't think it's too much of a blow that they're not in Europe next season. What I think needs to happen now for the club is the owners and the investors need to recognise that there is the potential to kick on from here. They need to re-sign Nuno, who I think I think his contract's up now, pretty much. So I think they, they want to hang on for him for next season. He's got to re-sign. He might have one one year left. I'm not entirely sure of the details there. But they need to keep him at the club. They need to allow him to build his dynasty a little bit. And they do need to strengthen in terms of squad depth and kick on from next season.
0: I think you're right there about Anuno. I think he is very much key in terms of bringing new players, new talent to the club. Uh, not only in terms of the what he's managed to get out of the team that he's had, but also his, his personality is, is something I, I, I don't think I've heard anybody say anything bad about him. And when you see how he is with players and other managers, we're so used to you know the, the, the handshake and the faux handshake that happens. But uh, even last night, he was hugging people. And in this temperature, that's the last thing <laughs> you want to be doing, really, isn't it? Uh, so, so Marley, what is it about Nuno? You know, we're talking about a guy here who, as a player, was a goalkeeper, which is pretty unusual when it comes to managers as well.
1: Yeah, it's a strange one. You don't see too many goalkeepers going into management. Um I think the, the only one I can think of in, in England was, uh, was Nigel Adkins, who used to manage Southampton, and he, he went down the leagues pretty quickly. Um, I, I don't even think he's got a job anymore. But, um, yeah, I think Nuno is the, the spearhead of that whole um, the whole project, really, because, obviously, they've got the relationship with, with George Mendes, the, the super agent who brings all the Portuguese um, talent to them. Um, and as you know, as his fingers in a lot of pots when it comes to players around Europe who could come from the sort of slightly lesser known leagues. Um, but yeah I mean he's he's one of them where if he's got a year left on his contract, I don't you would say he would sign another one but I think with with wolves not qualifying this year, for um for European competition, if if they don't do it again next year, I think that's it. Then they're gone, and Nuno could get another job, at a, a top six club somewhere around Europe, um quite quite easily. Really, he's, I think he's managed in Spain. He managed Valencia for a little while.
2: This is this is his first job where he's really had any success, though, isn't it? I mean, like you say, he was at Valencia, and he resigned from that position. He was at Porto. I think he was sacked at Porto after a relatively short amount of time. So I mean. This Wolves job is the first job he's had where he's really impressed. But he has impressed. And you'd imagine his stock was considerably higher than when he joined the club a couple of years back.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I mean,
0: I'm not sure if I was Nuno, I would ever want to leave because the way he's held in regard in, in Wolves, he's never going to have to buy a pint again. I mean, the, 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 they absolutely adore him. And I know it's traditional for uh, a, a team and the fans to get behind a manager, but this is this is something else. There's a real... Uh, love for the guy, so there's definitely that appeal and support, and and I think potentially, you know, he he's he's one of these managers that is is almost moving to that kind of Pep Guardiola stage where the club won't sack him; it'll just be a case of when he decides to move, he can go on. Um, I I think in in terms of the the playing squad, who do you think is is there a key player that would really um, symbolise? Their intent in terms of holding on to. I'm thinking potentially Adama triori Although again, looking at how he's developed under uh, Nuno, I I don't think he, he's going to want to go anywhere else particularly. And I, I think they've brought him on as a player. They've developed him and they've kind of brought him into into that team and made him such a key part of it. Jim, who who do you see within the Wolf squad has been? like the 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 key player to hold on to. Is it, is it Jimenez?
2: It's hard to look past Jimenez. And we were talking a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about the player who we think is most underrated in the league. And he was my pick just because I think he's pretty much the complete forward. He's a great finisher. He's got pace. He takes penalties, although he did miss one in the Europa tie, obviously. He takes players on. He's just a bit of an all-rounder and would fit into most teams in the Premier League, I think. But... I mean one of the successes of Wolves is the fact that they've found these players and bought them on and you look at Ruben Neves who's a cracking player Adama Traore who you said since his move to Wolves has kind of reached that next level and I remember when he did move to what was it Middlesbrough was that before Wolves I think yeah West Ham were looking at him at that time and thought he was a bit inconsistent so they passed on him um but you've got Connor Cody at the back as well who's a cracking player and I think could easily move to the next level of club maybe I mean if I was a a team like Liverpool or Everton I'd be taking a look at Conor Cody particularly with him being a Liverpudlian by birth Moutinho as well in midfield they have got talent right the way through that team and it's talent that other teams potentially weren't looking at until they pulled on the old gold so there is a load of players that other teams will be looking at potentially bringing in this summer but for me it is Jimenez who is the spearhead and their talisman and the player that if they're going to go, right, here's a signal of our intention, that's the player they want to hang on to. But as we know, it's not all about what clubs want.
0: I think what might stand Wolves in good stead actually is the fact that we may very well have a diminished transfer window uh, with all the problems Mm. that we've seen with COVID and so that might mean this is possibly the best time uh, for them to not have European football Um, so they they don't have uh, their best players cherry-picked by other clubs. So Sevilla go through to the next round it's uh, a one-off game on Sunday against Man United that's uh, uh, eight eight o'clock British time. Um, United kind of stumbled and stuttered as they came through against Copenhagen. Um, what are they going to have to do, Marley, uh, to
1: to get through against Sevilla? They're going to have to be a lot a lot better, to be honest. Um... Great
0: team talk, thanks. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> they weren't they weren't bad against Copenhagen. Um, I mean, the goalie had a, a good game for for Copenhagen. He made. I, f- I feel like it was a little bit over. Over uh, dramatised on on social media, like oh, goalies had a game of his life when in reality he made three good saves out of his thirteen, I think. But that's uh, that's another that's another discussion, I suppose. But yeah, they, they're gonna have to be better because Sevilla are a more dynamic side. Um, I don't think they're unbeatable by any chance, uh, by any means. Sevilla, I think the the best Man United beats the best version of Sevilla if if I'm uh, if I'm honest, but. It's just one of them. It's that experience, isn't it, of of having of going far into this competition. Um, I know Man United won it in twenty seventeen, but Sevilla have been there so many times, and they've got an experienced manager in Lopetegui. Um, he's managed at the, the the highest sort of level. He's managed Spain, and he managed Real Madrid for a little bit before that all went pear shaped. Um, but he's um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have to really get going because this wasn't it wasn't. It didn't set the world alight against Copenhagen. I still think they should have won by two or three goals. Um, but credit to Copenhagen, they were they were okay. But I just think if you're gonna if you're gonna go and win the win the competition, what you got to remember is Inter are probably going to be waiting in the final, and Inter look a very very strong team with with who they've um, who they've got as manager in Conte. Uh, the system they play is a bit strange um, for an English team. Not many teams play with a back three, so if they do get to the final, they're going to have to contend with that. Um, and I don't think um you know, that performance over Copenhagen says that they can go they can go on and win it, but uh, they're gonna have to improve against severe and ensure that they've they've still got uh, enough in the tank to go and uh, to go and finish the
2: job. United do do that though, don't they? I mean, there are games they've played this season and for the last few seasons where they've kind of struggled about against the lesser opposition a little bit. They've almost looked a little bit complacent and have struggled to get up against the smaller teams. But I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch the game live, and I was catching up on football Twitter whilst the game was going on, and it sounded like it was just a miserable dirge of lacklusterness from Manchester United. But then I watched the highlights, and I thought, actually, United were pretty decent for a lot of it. They were a bit leggy at times, but they were unlucky. They had a couple of goals ruled out. They hit the post a couple of times as well. Martial had some really good chances where he just... Couldn't quite finish it off, but and if one of those had gone in, it would have changed the whole complexity of that game. Copenhagen would have had to come out swinging; they would have had to try to grab a goal, whereas they were playing pretty deep until well for for most of the game. So, I mean, they kind of—I don't think that necessarily United were as bad in that game as the scoreline suggests, because we were all expecting a little bit of a romp, but they did what United have started to do recently, and. They won, yet didn't play that well. And it's started to creep into that game this season, I think. And Solskjaer considers himself a little bit of a... Fergie light, doesn't he? Like, I I can't believe it's not Fergie. Uh, So (laughs) he's kind of adopting those ways of Alex Ferguson. And one of the key traits of Alex Ferguson's reign at Manchester United was playing badly and winning. And people remember Fergie's era as this swashbuckling, counter-attacking football every 90 minutes. Was it b**** that? There were games where they were absolutely turgid, but they always seemed to grind out a result. And if Solskjaer can instil that into Manchester United that's that's a great thing because you, can, you can't play brilliantly every week unless you're Liverpool this season. And even they had struggled at times this season. But yeah, you can't play brilliantly every week. Occasionally, you're going to play badly. And if you can win those games, that's going to be the sign of a successful team. So I actually think there's some positives to take from United's performance against Copenhagen. I still think Seville will beat them,
0: but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just going to ask, and I'll put this to both of you now. So how much difference with just two knockout games to go... At the end of a long season, is it more down to what Ollie does as a manager or the players themselves? Uh,
1: it's it's got to be it's got to be both, hasn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, you, you you line your best side up, and they've still got to go and win the game. So um, it's just motivating them, and I don't think Ollie's really got a problem with motivating his players. I think he's that's one of the areas where he's he's been pretty good. Um, he's you know, he, he loves talking about history and what it's like to play for man united which to be honest gets on my tits a bit because um, he just goes to that well far too often um especially in the media when he's you know he's trying to sign a player or something and he's like oh it should be a, a, you know a, a massive honor to play for man united and all that balls but that type of stuff can you know um motivate motivate players in in a team talk and and that kind of thing so once he puts the players on on the on the pitch, I think everyone knows Man United's um, strongest eleven. It's not like he has to work any anything new out. I think you go with Matic, Fernandez, and Pogba in midfield, and then the front three with Greenwood up front with Marshall and Rashford. They're they're the strongest. Uh, that's the strongest team you've got. So play them. Um, the only question would be who's in goal, and Romero will probably carry on because he's the Europa League goalkeeper, and that's fair enough. So. It's up to it's up to the players to go and do it. Um, it's just a case of have they got enough left in the tank at the end of the season? Because they did slow down considerably towards the end of the season. Almost stumbled over that line into ended up in third uh, third place somehow in the in the Premier League. But you can't blame them for, uh, for getting there. They they did what they needed to do and they beat Leicester on that final day. And uh, they now need to just suck it up and go what 180 more minutes, possibly 210 more minutes before they can potentially get some silverware, which would be an unbelievable season for Man United.
2: I think as a coach, the jury's still a little bit out on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, isn't it? I mean, he's not being heralded as a a tactical mastermind yet. And I think part of that was on show in the Copenhagen game because you could hear his team talk team talk just before um, we went into extra time and his team talk to the squad was something like, I mean, you know, you get those videos, the amazing videos of Pep Guardiola standing around with the City players and he's gesturing and he's kind of symboling different numbers and different positions and Solskjaer just said to his players, come on lads, another 30 minutes, (laughs) which is that Sunday (laughs) league kind of level of motivation. So there's a little bit of a question mark over Solskjaer as a tactician at the moment, maybe unfairly. But you're right, Marley. I mean, he's got a pretty solid first 11 there. I think when you watch games like Copenhagen, there's maybe questions around the fullbacks and whether they need to maybe invest in more attacking fullbacks to play the type of football that Solskjaer wants to play. But that's a pretty solid first 11. He's spent... £200 million pounds on personnel since he came into post. So he should have a decent first 11. But there's been very little variation from that 11 through the season. And when he has rested key players, that's when the results have slipped. So I think that's where Solskjaer needs to prove himself in terms of can he analyse an opponent in order to get a win for his team? And it's got to be a combination of the two over the next two games whoever he comes up against it can't just be the players because the opposition are getting better and better and better and teams like Sevilla teams like Inter Milan whoever they end up playing in the final have that ability to stop Manchester United playing if they want to so Solskjaer needs to find an alternative and it has to be the coaching that finds that the tactics that finds that way to beat a team like that come on lads another 30 minutes for me, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> is
0: not really a team talk. It, it's what they shout at you when you hire a pedalo and a boating league. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and we've still got time to go as well. So come on, lads, we've got another 30 minutes. Before we go to the break, though, um, uh, did any of you got any comments on the Sevilla keeper? No.
1: no. No. Go on. You have, though, so hit us.
0: I was just massively disappointed uh, by the lack of U2 puns in the game by the commentators because they have Bono. Uh, playing in goal, so uh, I, I, I just you know if there are any commentators for Sunday listening out, I'm sure United will be hoping for a beautiful day on Sunday, bloody Sunday, and uh, maybe come away with some pride and walk on to the final to fulfil
2: their desire. Brilliant! Wow! <laughs> Brilliant! Hang on, I've got one. I've got one. I've got one. Make sure he doesn't give any way- away any fouls on the edge of the box. <laughs> Hey? Wow.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully uh, Man United or Man United fans will be hoping to impose their will on on Sevilla, just like U2 did when they forced everyone to download the album. Remember on the iPhone a few years back, about, about seven yeah. or eight years ago, all of a sudden everyone woke up with a U2 album on the phone and that <laughs> still annoys me to this day. You can delete it, you know, you don't have to listen to it. <laughs> Oh, I did. I found out hearty. Right, we're going to talk transfers
0: uh, after the break, which is this. Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the Football Social Daily, your go-to source for everything you need. That's Premier League. And if you've got a smart speaker, you can ask your device to enable Sports Social uh, for regular updates on your team. So, uh, time to talk transfers, gentlemen. Uh, it's always that uh, time of year. Well, I would say it's that time of year. By now, usually, the window would be closed, I think. i terribly confused. But we are where we are, and it's an interesting time. People are speculating whether there might be uh, a lot less activity than before. But quite a busy day. Yesterday, we had a, a double, double-barreled double transfer, um, which was basically a swap deal, but done as two separate deals. Uh, Kyle Walker-Peters, who's been on loan at Southampton. He, he's joined them full-time. And uh, captain, or former captain, should I say, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, uh, moved to White, Hart Lane, and took Jan Vertonghen's old number. Uh, who do you think's got the best business out of those gentlemen?
2: I think, actually, Saints might have a bit of a deal there. Because, for me, Hoiberg's been decent, but I think the, the jury's still out a little bit on him. He's been good for Saints, he's been solid, but... I think there's still a little bit of a question mark. Walker-Peters, although his development stalled a little bit, he's not looking quite the talent he was when he first burst onto the scene. I think there's definitely a player in there and undoubtedly the game time he'll get for Southampton will move him on. So I think, yeah, I think Southampton might have slightly the better deal there. More concerning for me would be, if I was a Saints fan, would be why Jose Mourinho doesn't want any fullbacks at his club. Because I was looking through the... Squad list earlier, and they've got Oria, Ben Davies, and that's kind of it. Cesonion can play fullback, but he's more of a natural winger. Danny Rose is still officially a Tottenham player, but unlikely to be there next season. So, I mean, is Jose just working his way into a system where he can play nine fullbacks, nine nine centre backs, sorry, a goalkeeper and a striker? <laughs> because I think that might be what we end up seeing next season, looking at how he's a, how he's setting up right now
0: i i actually quite like that i think that is a proper systemized parking the bus really isn't it and uh if you look at some of his <laughs> yeah. greatest results uh, i i could see that very much happening um have you seen much of um of walker peters marley what do you think of him
1: uh to be honest when he came through at, at spurs i wasn't entirely sure about him he looked a little bit shaky and a little bit off the pace but since he's gone to uh to southampton i think he's he's done really well. um, he's got versatility he can play on either side obviously his best best position is right back um so I'm, i am kind of surprised that spurs are letting him go when as jim said they've only got Serge Aurier as the right back in that entire squad so that's a bit strange um but i think southampton are getting a really good deal i think hazen hootes getting getting uh, the best of him and i think he's got a long way to uh, to progress and become a, a really good player mm. but He's playing for a, a good manager who in a, in a team that play pretty good football, especially in that obviously in the second half of the season when they were um, when they recovered from that hammering it uh, against Leicester. Um, but I think I think they've got the better, the slightly better deal because Heubjerg I'm surprised anyone took a took a gamble on Haiberg to be honest, because he's, he's a he's an okay player. He's not gonna set the world alight. I don't think Spurs needed defensive midfielders as much as um, as much as like to go and to go and buy another one and when they've got all these midfielders to try and cram into one system I'm, I'm surprised they went for him and um, But he's only 25, which I thought he was a little bit older, but the fact that he used to play for Bayern as well was was shocked me. When I was looking at him the other day, looking at his history, he came from Bayern, went to Southampton and ended up wanting to go back to that top level, so basically just asked for the move and said, I want to play in Europe, and and Spurs came in for him, and he's going to be playing Europa League next season, but I'm not convinced he's the type of player that um, will... Sort of propel Spurs back towards the top four. I don't think he's he's that good. I think he's good, but he's not like elite sort of level.
2: Um, so you kind of have to look at the transfer fees for a hint there as well. Because fifteen million quid's not a lot of money, is it? And good players go for more than fifteen million was it, quid. Was it
1: only fifteen? I thought it was twenty
2: five. I, I thought it was, I thought it was fifteen with add-ons. Oh well. Yeah. well I guess it depends what you read because they'll transfer- still. It's not
1: either way. It's not a lot of money, is it? Do we actually know what these
0: add-ons are? I mean, do, do when is is this per per parents per or international call ups or is it just kind of like you know we'll throw in a washing machine and <laughs> you know it's a free free
2: Uber account to get you to and from training. I imagine it will be European qualification and and then you get the washing machine. <laughs> uh,
0: so I, I I think if I was Walker Peters, I, I I think definitely the the appeal of of playing under Hassan Hüttl would see more. For all the magic that Mourinho's got, he's not got the greatest record with bringing through youth players, and we've already seen some great development in the sh- relatively short time that Hassan Hüttl's been mm. out of Southampton. Uh, other action, uh, Liverpool dipped into the uh, transfer market to provide some uh, competition for uh, their left-back, uh, and they've signed Kostas Simikas is that right we, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll just stick with Kostas for now uh, Greek international from Olympiacos uh, and we did think that Liverpool weren't really going to do much in this uh, transfer market um, is this somewhere purely to provide competition or is, is this a player that's been tearing things up over in uh, Olympiacos
2: we talked about this on Monday's podcast just before the transfer happened, kind of speculating it was gonna happen. Um, and the kind of the general consensus was he was there to provide competition for places and kind of be a backup player. Since then, I think certainly from Liverpool fans, they seem to think there might be a little bit more about this player than we were giving him credit for. And he seems to be very much in the mould of a Liverpool fullback in terms of he's great on the ball, he's One of those players that can get forward and get crosses into the box. So, I mean, it's difficult to see how he's going to displace anyone within that first 11. He appears to be back up to me. But I think he could offer Liverpool something a little bit different and certainly another option in what is going to be another long contest. Tracted season with very little break. So I think he'll be an important player for Liverpool and I think it looks, on the face of it, to be a decent bit of business.
0: I mean, really, when you look at the, the players that they've uh, brought in since Klopp has been at Liverpool, they haven't really done much wrong. Um, I mean, the the one thing that would maybe flash up would be Uh, Karius, uh but he's, he's certainly d- done mm. well in terms of bringing players that, you know, were not regarded very particularly highly by, uh, by other clubs, uh, who've gone on to be... You know, integral parts of a Champions League and Premier League winning side is this down to Klopp himself, Marley, or do you think it's just the system that Liverpool have have developed? Of of you know, it's often quoted as well that in terms of their net spend, they're one of the lowest in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, I think um, a lot of his a lot of his business is helped by the fact that Jurgen Klopp is such a good man manager. He's so, you know, we talked about Ollie Solskjaer talking about his, you know, his motivation and stuff before and, and what he says before the games. I think one thing you look at Liverpool and they will all run through a brick wall, so to speak, for um, for Jurgen Klopp. So I think that helps with, uh, with transfer business and, you know, when you, it's just sort of reflected in his style of football as well. Everyone's, it's high energy, it's high pressing, everyone's got the energy to, because they want to, you know, impress the manager and, and they believe in his system and that kind of thing. So I think that's probably reflected in the fact that they haven't got much wrong in terms of outfield positions in in the last few years. They've, they've transformed the team. If you look at who who was in the team um, when Klopp took over, it was completely different to what it is now. I think Alberto Moreno and, and Nathaniel Klein were at the back and, you know, a lot of players who just weren't simply weren't good enough to be honest. Um so he's got rid of all them and he's got ones in that have that have done done really well for him. I don't think anyone's really flopped. Shakiri? Um since yeah even Shakiri's not bad though. I don't I wouldn't call him a flop. I think I'd call him a fringe player mm. but I wouldn't say he wasn't bad. Um, I mean I I I wouldn't call him anything. Have you seen the size of the guy's <laughs> biceps? <laughs> yes. That's very true yeah. Um, but no, I think, I'm not going to lie, I've never never heard of this this left-back that they signed from Olympiacos, but they clearly have spotted a bargain, they don't like spending much on their full-backs, Andy Robertson wasn't much, I think he was £8 million from Hull. so... They've, they've, they they've think they've spotted a bargain, and judging on his record, you can't really say, well, that's a waste mm. of money, because number one, 10, 10 or 11 million is nothing in this trans, in this transfer market as it is.
2: And number two, he hasn't filled before, so why would he start now? I think it's the benefit from having a style of play as well, isn't it? And Jurgen Klopp certainly has a type of player he likes and a way he likes to play football, and we talk time and time again about clubs who don't seem to have an identity Liverpool 100% have that identity and when you know what you're looking for in a transfer market then it makes it slightly easier to recruit those players so you've got to give Klopp a certain amount of trust and you, you will hear it in the same way City fans say in Pep we trust, Liverpool fans say in Klopp we trust because he has got success in the transfer market, they have a great scouting network and you wouldn't put it past them to have unearthed another gem
0: and also as well they've got that big name which attracts players and the current success mm. which uh, obviously must make the negotiation easier.
2: Um, have they had success? Oh,
0: they haven't mentioned it much have they? Really? <laughs> no, their well hats. sit down there Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll do a whole extra podcast just on that, just to bring you up to speed in case you missed it. Also busy in the transfer market and enjoying some success for the first time in a very long time as well. Uh, Leeds United, they've been busy. Uh, they picked up uh, Northern Ireland Junction, 16-year-old Charlie Allen mm-hmm. yesterday, and also uh, picked up Joe Gerhardt from Wigan. I think they've already signed four or five players. They've already re-signed Jack Harrison on loan from Man City. Um, they're obviously... They've been building towards this for a long time. I'm sure they've got strategies and and plans in place. And I I know that uh, we've talked about this before, about potentially them needing at least a proven Premier League striker. Um, Two questions. First of all, are they in danger here of doing a a Fulham or Villa and signing too many players and disrupting the squad? And secondly, if they're looking for
1: a proven Premier League striker, would they consider Daniel Sturridge? It's not a bad shout, um, Sturridge. Uh, I was looking at you know Jim wrote the article on spot social website yesterday and I was thinking about where storage can go I, th- I still think he's got a lot of options in England just providing his his wages aren't outrageous um but Leeds could be Leeds could be one of them he's he's from I mean he's from Birmingham so you would maybe expect him to go to maybe Aston Villa if if he can get over that uh you know that that west midlands sort of Rivalry. I don't know. Don't quite know who he grew up supporting or whatever. But he might. He might end up with Villa. But Leeds. Leeds might be all right having a look at him. Um, if you want experience, you've just got to. It's like that thing in it with Daniel Sturridge. It's always going to come back to the injuries. Um, so if you can get him on the right deal, I think he could help Leeds, and it could be a bit of a winner for everyone. But um, so far, they're doing. They're doing sort of shrewd business in the champion in the in the transfer market. <clears throat> I would think the the players they've signed this week won't necessarily be first team players but they're looking after the academy which is a big uh, a big thing at Leeds they've always they've always done that um some of their success in the last few years has been based on a few uh, a few lads coming through the academy and and going on to to be really good first team players when you think of like Calvin Phillips and people like that so they know they know how to get a bargain Leeds um i don't think they'll do a villa uh, well, not a Villa, but a, more of a Fulham, um, purely because I think they've got more of a structure around them. I think Fulham came up and was like, "Oh God, our whole our whole team needs needs sorting out here. We need to sign everyone." They ended, ended up spending hundred million, and they were all rubbish. Basically, they completely neglected the defense and went straight back down. So, I think leads Leeds need big signings at centre back if they can get Ben White. And I think they need uh, a signing at centre forward and mm. storage on a free on the right deal, maybe a one-year deal of a low wage and highly incentivised uh, appearance bonuses might help them. And then they can go and get someone else for an actual sort of transfer fee. You know, maybe maybe Callum Wilson or someone from Bournemouth or so, somewhere like that. Go and get someone who can who's sort of proven to score goals and and go from there. But I don't I don't see them doing a, a Fulham. Um, I think they'll be a bit more sensible than that.
2: They seem like they're fishing in the right pool in terms of players at the moment. I think the players they've bought in already, as Marley mentions, Ben White, who was great for them last season, and there's a massive campaign on Twitter that I'm sure you've seen at the moment, the free (laughs) Ben White campaigns, try and get him to re-sign for Leeds. I think there's some interest in Matty Cash, uh, Forrest as well. So they're the kind of players that those mid-table teams are looking at, which... I think it's probably about right for Leeds at the moment in terms of improving the playing squad they've got. The big concern is up front. Daniel Sturridge would be an interesting shout and as Marley said, I I wrote an article yesterday on the website sports-social.co.uk looking at where Sturridge might potentially go and where he's been in the past and there's definitely a player in there but he's still a massive risk and he won't come cheap in terms of wages even if he is a free transfer. But I think the likes of Leeds potentially Aston Villa, maybe Sheffield United could take a chance on him. But they still need a proven goal scorer and you can't guarantee someone's going to stay fit, but you can probably hope for a bit more fitness than Daniel Sturridge is going to offer you. I think they had an offer for Jonathan David at Ghent turned down. I think that deal's dead. But again, that's another unproven striker, kind of like Wesley who went to Aston Villa last season. I kind of feel like they need someone who's going to get them 15 goals next season. And that is such a difficult ask in the Premier League and that kind of player doesn't come cheap.
0: Well, uh, I wouldn't bet against uh, Sturridge going to Leeds, but then again, Daniel Sturridge probably would bet, which got him into trouble in the first <laughs> place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just finally as well, um story out yesterday that just broke up about Villa looking to sign Ollie Watkins from Brentford, Great striker, um, but you know, is, is, is that the right move for him? Is I mean, obviously his stock's pretty hot right now. Uh, but they've got a great setup at Brentford, which potentially is going to be broken up in this transfer window mm. again with people sniffing around. Um, is it inevitable that o- Ollie's going to end
2: up in the Premier League somewhere? I think Ollie Watkins will be a Premier League player next season. I think him and there's a few other players at Brentford as well, like you say. They're being sniffed around at the moment. Rico Henry, I think, was linked with Liverpool. Liverpool. Um, Ben Rama, is it? The winger, the Algerian. Mm. I think he's been linked with a few clubs yeah. as well. So I, I, unfortunately for Brentford, failing to get into the Premier League means a few of their prized assets. And what they've been brilliant at is unearthing these assets that other people weren't looking at. I think they're going to be picked off and Ollie Watkins has got to be top of that list. For him, I'd suggest it's probably the right time to move. He's 24. It's the period of his career where he needs to make that step up and go to another club and there's so many clubs that are interested in him I've heard he's been linked with West Ham who are keen on putting a bid in but they need to offload players first Crystal Palace I think have had a bid turned down Um, they've certainly been interested and Aston Villa as well and I don't think Villa are going to be in the same kind of situation as they were this season next season I think they've had that period of time to acclimatize to the premier league and establish themselves they'll invest again in in this transfer window and i think they will be a more established force. i mean the size of club they are they can certainly afford to invest and become that established force next season so i mean it wouldn't be the worst move in the world for ollie watkins but at the same time he he will have options because he's a real promising talent
0: i mean the guys just lost you know missed out on the playoffs. I missed out getting to the Premier League and now you want to send it to West Ham, Jim. Jeez. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about a uh, Premier League legend turned manager in a moment. That's uh, Sol Campbell and we'll do that after this.
2: Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. Be org.
0: Welcome back to the Football Social Daily. I'm Ant McGinley. Joining me, we have Jim Salverson. Hello. Uh, He's a West Ham fan, and alongside him, we have Newcastle fan Marley Anderson. Hello. And I'm a Man City fan, nervously looking forward to this weekend and the Champions League against Lyon. Let's talk about uh, a former Premier League player, a legend in fact, uh, turned manager... Who has uh, been in the papers this week uh, with an interview that he gave? Some interesting quotes there uh, coming out. Mali, you've got them handy, haven't you?
1: Yeah. Um, so Campbell's uh, had a uh, an interview with the with the Times, um, which you can find on their website, and it says uh, basically the the crux of the whole thing is the quote, um, which sums up the whole story, is that he says, "I work bloody hard. I have qualities." People haven't seen the best of me yet. Judge me when I have a budget. Judge me when I have a proper club structure around me. I just need a chance. So obviously he's talking about uh, managing Southend and managing Macclesfield on a shoestring budget and he, he basically wants more of a chance, doesn't he?
0: The first thing I thought when I heard that crowd was they've just got it wrong. They were talking to Sam Allardyce because those are <laughs> real Sam Allardyce benchmarks that he said.
2: But does he have a point? I mean, there's a massive difference here between Sol Campbell and so many differences between Sol Campbell and <laughs> Sam Allardyce. Um, and I, I guess the biggest is that Sam Allardyce has been given those opportunities, and he has proven the type of manager he is and the style of football he plays. Sol Campbell hasn't been given those opportunities. And I think there is a little question over why he hasn't been given those opportunities. And it's very easy to label Sol Campbell as a bit of a whinger, as a bit of a moaner, because this isn't the first time that he's made these statements. But I think there has to be a serious conversation about why he's not being given the chance to prove himself in a big job when other Premier League players, former Premier League players with similar backgrounds and sim- well, not similar backgrounds, similar qualities have being given those opportunities and you look at someone like Frank Lampard who got the der- Derby job and then moved on to Chelsea. I mean people are saying oh he cut his teeth at Derby. I mean Derby was a plum job to get when he got that job. They were always going to be playoff contenders and he managed to keep them as playoff contenders and then he's moved to the Chelsea job because of his links with that club. Why isn't the same happen with Sol Campbell? And the the the, the, the answer is seemingly really obvious and it's to do with his ethnicity and it's a horrible thing to think about and no one wants to think about there being institutional racism in the sport but it's very difficult to look at why else that case would be he's got a bit of an abrasive personality and i think some people dislike him for that but at the same time there's plenty of people in sport who have abrasive personalities and you look at his how he's done in the jobs he has had and he's not torn up any trees but i think i mean i think it was considered he did a decent job at Macclesfield when he was there for a relatively short period of time. But I think there's a big disconnect between the Premier League and lower league clubs that mean Premier League players or former Premier League players aren't necessarily suited to managing those smaller teams. And we saw this a little bit with Paul Scholes when he went into Oldham. He was easily frustrated because he wanted Oldham players to do the things that he could do on a football pitch when he was a player. And with the best win in the world, olden players couldn't do that. So I think when you're used to playing at that kind of level, that kind of, uh, that high level of football, you probably are better suited to managing high level players. And I'm not saying it's a given right of any former Premier League player to move into a Premier League job or a championship job and be given that opportunity. I think they do need to work for it and they do need to cut their teeth and they do need to get their coaching badges and like Arteta work as assistant managers. But at the same time, there's a question as to why did Frank Lampard get the Derby job? Why did Steven Gerrard get the Rangers job? And yet Sol Campbell hasn't been given that opportunity yet.
0: And also, we've seen just the last few weeks real success in the likes of Mikel Arteta winning the FA Cup in his first management job with less than 30 games under his belt. So it shows that, you know, if given the opportunity, these things can work out. Hmm. It's interesting there that you mentioned the, the the issue of potential institutional racism and being at the heart of this. Um, I think there could be could very much be a, a factor of being the personality because uh, we will never know that until years in the future when all the autobiographies come out and everything's passed and we start to get a better understanding for what people were really like. But then even then, you'll never know unless you actually work with the person. I, what's interesting for me is when I googled Sol Campbell, um, the stories that came up um, were there was more funny stories than success stories. Now, I know he's not picked up any silverware, but there's been some so a couple of great wins that he's had in his time uh, at Southend and at Macclesfield. But what I got instead was the stories that came up was uh, when he referred to Southend being Southampton, which was genuinely funny, and he, he took on the chin. Uh, and then also when he was working as a commentator during the World Cup and famously said... Uh, who would win between Belgium and Brazil, and he said France. <laughs> now, that to me, that to me is not a sign of an abrasive personality. That is the sign of uh, an adorable personality. But the, the very fact that we, we came into this and said, Saul Campbell's having another winch, Is that part of this whole issue? Is that what we're, we're seeing as... He's, he's raising a potential issue and saying, look, you know, genuinely something is not right here, and I'm suffering... Are we adding to that, Marley, by saying, "Oh, he's whinging again"? And this is not me accusing you in, mm. in any way.
1: Um, yeah, possibly. Um, I personally don't really have much of a an issue with him, you know, quote unquote whinging, um, because I think you've got to keep your your voice out there in terms of, um, if you know he thinks he's he's got a, a point and he probably does about you know why hasn't he been given a chance. Um, and that's that's something a lot of managers do. You know, you see on Sky Sports when a manager hasn't been in work for a while, and you know Thierry Henry did it. All of a sudden, he became a pundit on Sky on Sky Sports, and he was there every Sunday with with Jimmy Redknapp and Roy Keane, and who have you? And he was he became a pundit, and it was basically so he kept his face in the, in the shop window kind of thing. Campbell's done it as well on Sky Sports, talking you know being on the um, the debate and stuff like that, and on. I think it's on about ten o'clock at night, and they talk about it's basically a, a televised podcast, really. Um, and he's it, so I don't really have a problem with him whinging, um, so to so to speak, because I think that's what managers have to do to 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 get themselves a job, um, to and to keep them in the the sort of public eye. But my my issue with Campbell is is the things he's done in his career. I think are going against him in terms of becoming employed um, look through his transfer history as a player he never moved for a fee it was always about what he could get himself so he wanted he, you know obviously he left Spurs to go to um, to go to Arsenal for free like that that trait is not a trait that would get you employed by um, somebody who's looking to hire you as a manager I think that shows a lack of loyalty but I don't think that would ever um, be questioned with anyone
2: else I mean this is kind of what I'm talking about and I I think it would. I think it would. I'm sure there's other players that I, have left on freeze. Jim, or I, Jim, honestly,
1: I if you, I just I'm trying to to get this to to a sort of an everyday thing that we can relate to. And I just think if you had a few, if you went for a job and your CV was like you had, you'd only been at jobs for six months and then you went to other jobs and you'd had sort of legal cases over you and stuff like that. In terms of you know going and signing for a, a rival radio station, for example, mm. you know I just think that that puts off future employers, and I think his personality puts off puts off people who might want to want to um, want to hire him because he does do strange things and he does have a bit of a moan. I think that can put people off, and I do believe there is institutional racism somewhere. Um, in football, and obviously, as, as we mentioned before, stories will come out when people retire, and and there will be examples of it. However, I'm I'm not sure it, they always apply to Sol Campbell because I think he's got a lot of asterisks around him and things he's done in the past that will put people off. I don't think if if a League One team gave him a job, you know, a sort of solid League One team like a uh, a Shrewsbury or or an Oxford or someone like that, if they gave him the opportunity. Their their um, chairman won't be thinking he's going to be here for five years. They'll be thinking he wants to use us as a as a step. And a lot of teams at that level with the with the budgets they've got, they're so sort of tight that you can't you can't be chopping and changing manager every couple of years because you want some sort of continuity. And under that continuity, you can get towards the championship, and then you know you can start dreaming of of going up the leagues rather than chopping and changing every couple of years.
2: But that's not that's not a problem that is particular to Sol Campbell. If a Shrewsbury, for example, appointed a manager like Frank Lampard, for example, I'm sorry to keep on picking on Frank Lampard, they wouldn't expect him to be there for the long term. They'd know they were a stepping stone for him to get to where he wants to go.
1: Yeah, but they they're judging his short term you know, short term boost for the club. If you look at Let's say let's continue that. So if Lampard went to Shrewsbury, you know it was it was Frank Lampard's Derby County, wasn't it? It wasn't Derby County mm-hmm. anymore. It was Frank Lampard's Derby County. So if he, if he went to let's say Shrewsbury, it would be Frank Lampard's Shrewsbury, and it would be Saul Campbell's Shrewsbury as well. But Saul Campbell's career so far, um, people aren't taking it quite as you know. He's not getting the the um, the sort of praise. He he did a good job at Macclesfield. And there's there's no sort of denying that, but he's not done enough for a club to be like, right, oh God, they've got Sol Campbell as a manager and the, the hype around his appointment wouldn't be enough to offset the, um, the the change that would be forthcoming in the future if he did only last for six, nine, 12 months, something like that.
0: Mm. But then we've, we've got a couple of clubs, even in the Premier League, where they, they've given the manager's job but just the most recent one being at Bournemouth to somebody with no proven experience at all and obviously Bournemouth are on the way down um, so that that's slightly different but it's still at that top level of uh, that Premier League Championship level uh, where they're going in um, I think this is something we're not going to sort out now uh, but I would, <laughs> we not? Uh, no. uh well i mean if we had an extra five minutes i reckon we should probably nail it but unfortunately uh, we've got to talk about some other things i will just say though um I, it did occur to me that i i was talking about this accusation of whinging and maybe actually the whinging is a sign of a great manager after all when you think about it right now in the premier league we've got one of the most decorated managers in world history, and he's a first-class whinger. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Jose. Let's change tack slightly and move from managers to players, and uh, I wanna ask you both to have a think about um, which Premier League footballer of the current crop or any era uh, are the most likely to not do what they're told. This comes off the back of the last couple of days. We've seen games in Scotland called off because footballers didn't adhere to the rules around social distancing and quarantine and also uh, last night we had a champions league game called off as well because uh, a croatian team uh, failed to uh, uh, one of their players was diagnosed with the uh, the covid-19 so the question is the, the these uh, these rules and regulations have been made very clear we've already seen a couple of premier league players throughout our own lockdown Uh, disobey the rules there and it just got me thinking about are there players possibly at your club or that you've seen or got a fondness for that you know no matter how clearly you spell it out to them they're just going to go off and do their
2: own thing i can think of a number this season for west ham my team particularly i mean one would be our calamitous goalkeeper roberto where he was clearly told not to throw the ball into his own net on several occasions, but decided to ignore that completely. (laughs) And the other would be Artemakos Masuaku, who is a player that I absolutely love at West Ham. He is our probably second choice left back. He was brought to the club with some fanfare, but he, he has no ability to defend or hold his position at left back. He's one of those players, you know, when you play five a side with your mates and you kind of have to decide your position so you're like right you start at the back and then we'll switch it round because everyone wants to play out front everyone wants to bang in the goals but someone has to sacrifice it and play at the back, but then they end up spending the entire game standing on the edge of the D. That's Arta Matuaku. He wants to be a winger, but he's a left back. So, I mean, he can't do what he's told in terms of football tactics. Just stay at left back. Um, yeah, so that would be my two nominations.
0: Mali. Uh, anybody at Newcastle or anyone else that you've seen that maybe just needs that little bit of extra coaching or maybe a megaphone telling them exactly what to do at every point? Um,
1: he doesn't play for us anymore, but... The one person I would absolutely have no doubt would do absolutely not what he's told in any way was, um, do you remember Faustino Aspria? Oh! <laughs> Basically, because he was a genuine, he was a nutcase, an absolute mental. Um, obviously, he he came around in, in times where there was a little bit less uh, publicity around everything and, you know, you, you could do things without, you know, them being posted on social media and stuff like that. Um, but he was he was a party animal. He arrived at Newcastle. He, he used to have parties till two or three in the morning. I think he lived down the road from uh, David Ginola. Um, and Ginola would, would get calls at two in the morning and be like, uh, David, come round to my house. We're having a party. And it's like, we're playing Spurs on Sunday. It's Friday night. What are you doing? And it, Tino's there with like guns and everything in his house. Just... <laughs> Like hundreds of Colombian women he flew over and everything um, so I, I can't imagine him su- surviving in this day and age where, every, where everything gets uh, where everything gets sort of put under the microscope I mean imagine what remember what uh, Mario Balotelli was like mm. um, when he was in the Premier League and I mean that was child's play compared to the stuff Asprey used to get up to so yeah um, I almost wish he was playing these days, Asprea. But if you if you Google him now and you see the shape of him, you'll understand why he's not a, 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 pre, a Premier League player anymore, or even in any decent shape to even look at. Uh, you wouldn't think he was a former professional footballer, put it that way.
0: Well, Balotelli was going to be uh, my mention, and of course, yes, there's all the fireworks in the bathroom and all those stories that happened off the field. But it was more for the point of like trying to discipline him and make him follow the plan and the structure of what the team wanted on the pitch. And the best example of this, you can find this online if you Google it. It's a great interview. Um, Jose Mourinho is talking to CNN about his time coaching him at Inter Milan. And you may remember this. They went to Ruben Kazan, and <laughs> yeah. all the strikers were injured at the time. So literally, the only option that uh, Mourinho had was Mario. And for... Just before halftime, Mario gets a yellow card. So, knowing what he's like, Jose spends 14 of the 15 minutes of halftime explaining to him. He says, look, there's no way I can change you. I haven't got anybody else there. I need to keep you in the position. So, don't react if someone touches you. Don't react if you lose the ball. Don't react if the referee makes a bad decision. Just be zen. Just be zen. Just be zen. 46 minutes, yellow card sent off. <laughs> <laughs> And what a guy. <laughs> that's it for today. Uh, thank you very much to Marley Anderson. Thank you. And thank you very much to Jim Salverson. Muchos gracias. Uh, I've been Ant McGinley. And to hear the latest news on your team or to catch up on the latest transfer gossip, then head to sport-social.co.uk. You'll also find details on there of how you can listen to daily news bulletins on every Premier League team on your Google or Amazon smart speaker.
2: <laughs> Subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode.